Well, thank you, Pastor Dave and Corey. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm, I'm one of the pastors. I get to bring the word to you today. And before we get into the message, I just want to just make a special announcement. Uh, for about two weeks now, we've been in this Pray for 22, uh, this time of prayer and fasting as a church. And this past week, we are focusing on praying for the kingdom of God and for the church. And as you continue to pray and fast, if you join with us uh, this next coming week, I want to ask that you continue to pray and fast uh, for the church leadership and for wisdom, that we would make a wise decision as to when we can open up again. It's on our hearts, on, on the hearts of the pastors and the elders and staff to open up as soon as we can. And we praise God that we just haven't been hearing of many severe cases um, among our church family. And that gives us confidence that we can open up very soon. Our hope is that we can open up next weekend. But we will keep seeking the Lord. We ask you to seek the Lord with us. And, and also, please keep in touch. Because as soon as we know that we're going to open up, we're going to let you know. Uh, keep in touch and look for the emails or the texts that we might send out. Or on our social media platforms, we'll let you know there as well. And we'll need your help as soon as we get the word to you. If you could help spread the word, uh, the word to others so that we can all come back when that time comes. And that's according to the Lord's will and according to his leading. So please continue to pray and fast with us. Well, you know, my wife, Monica, uh, she walked into uh, the room and she gave me this box. True story. She says, this is from my boyfriend. And I said, okay. So I opened the box and the box was full of love letters and handmade cards to Monica from me when we were dating. And I opened it, and as I looked at all this stuff, it brought back crazy memories of the things that I used to do for her when we were first dating, when we first fell in love. I, I pulled out stuff like this, you know, like these children's stories that I would write and I would color in and put together. And th there's cards like this, this book, this 24-page book called How to Win a Guy in 24 Months, commemorating 24 ways I fell in love with her because of the 24 months we, we took to pray for each other, even before we started dating. I, I, found, I found this, which was actually a, a, uh, a song that I wrote for her. I'm not a musician. I'm not a lyricist. I'm not a singer. And yet I remember I used to write songs for her. I would stay up late at night, hours and hours for days, trying to write her songs. I would literally take her to the cliffs at Powell's Verdes, and I would serenade her with these songs that I wrote for her. I remember one time I wrote her a song in Chinese because that's her language. I don't even speak Chinese, but I will for you, right? And I'll sing for you because I was in love. Man, the things I used to do when we were in that place. I remember Monica and I, we used to live in Irvine separately. We lived in Irvine because that's where we went to school. But on Wednesday nights, our church back here in the South Bay had Bible studies. And I offered, I offered her, I said, Monica, I'll drive you uh, to Bible study on Wednesday nights because, because you, you need it. You know, it's good for us, right? And so, so I offered to, and so on Wednesdays at 5 o'clock in the middle of rush hour on the 405, I would drive her, and it would take us two hours to get back to the South Bay. And I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of rush hour traffic on the 405, but I'm telling you, I 
loved it. I loved it. Why? Because it meant that I got to be stuck in the car with her. We were stuck, and I would savor every, be stuck, I would savor every moment. And I was sad because on the way back to Irvine after the Bible study, all the freeways were clear. Like there, were, there was no traffic. And, and traffic would be flowing. And it was the first time in my life that I actually abided by the 55 mile per hour speed limit that we're all supposed to drive. It was the first time I would actually drive in the furthest lane to the right in the slow lane, even though there was no, no traffic on the freeway. But, but I would drive slowly. Why? So that I could savor every moment in the car with Monica. I'm reminded of the things we do when we're in love. After Monica gave me this box, she closed it and she said, man, whatever happened to that guy? (laughs) I miss my old boyfriend. Oh, brutal, right? But doesn't that happen? Like in in all our relationships, things change over time. Our our emotions change. Our, Our affections dwindle. And it may not be as emotional, as affectionate, as intense, as passionate, but it happens. And it's normal. But one thing I think we need to be aware of is when our heart grows completely cold. When the heart flatlines and beats no more. You know, in the book of Matthew, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, what will be some of the signs of the end times? What will be signs of your coming again? And Jesus gives them a list of things in Matthew 24. He says there's going to be wars and false prophets. There's going to be disease and famine and earthquakes. In other words, he's saying there's going to be threats to our health. There's going to be threats to our homes. And then he says this one other thing. There's also going to be a threat to our hearts. See, Matthew 24, verse 12, in answer to the question of what it's going to be like in the last days, he says this. He says that because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Later on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it backs up what Jesus taught. In verse 2, it says, people aren't going to be lovers of other people anymore. It says, people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. Later on in verse 4, it says, they will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so in the last days, this is what will be sure. This is certain that people will stop loving God and stop loving People like they used to, they will be lovers of self. We're in a series called Now What? Right? With all the uncertainties going on in the world around us, now what? What do we do? Where do we go from here? What are we supposed to be doing? And what I want to do today is I want to read you a love letter from Jesus. A love letter from Jesus to the church in Ephesus. And I think we can conclude with certainty that one thing we must do is keep on loving. We need to stay in love for such a time as this. And so I want to pray and then invite you to open up to Revelation chapter 2 as we read this love letter from Jesus. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would hear your heart and we would hear your words. 
as this letter was spoken and written to a church in Ephesus, we pray that you would give us hear, ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And I pray that we would hear what, what you're saying to South Bay Community Church or whatever church we're a part of today. We pray we would hear what you want followers of Christ to hear. So, Lord, help us to do that right now. I pray that you help us to put aside all distraction. I pray that we wouldn't be drawn away by this or that, but we would be attentive to what your Holy Spirit wants to say to us right now. So, Lord, would you speak? Speak loud and clear so that we can hear and obey. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Revelation chapter 2, here's the letter that John is delivering from Jesus to Ephesus. And it starts off in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. In other words, these words are coming from Jesus. He's the one who holds the seven stars. He's the one who walks among the lampstands. And so Jesus has this important message for the church in Ephesus. Now, once upon a time, about 30 or 40 years before Revelation chapter 2 was written, there was another letter written to the church in Ephesus. It's called the book of Ephesians or the letter to the Ephesians. And at that time, when that first letter was written, Paul was writing to these people in the city of Ephesus, which was a major city in Asia Minor. And it minored in righteousness, but it majored in worldliness. I mean, historians tell us you could walk around the city and it wouldn't be before long that you would see pagans and prostitutes. You would see crooked bankers and corrupt criminals. You would see idolaters and all sorts of immorality all over the place. It was a dark and spiritually dead culture. But in the midst of the darkness, there was a light, a lampstand, if you would. And it was the people who found out about Jesus, the people who heard the gospel and received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And when they believed in Jesus as Lord, they were lit up. Their hearts were on fire. They burned with passion for this Christ. They were on cloud nine for Jesus. They fell in love with God, which caused them to love others like crazy. And so when Paul writes that initial letter to the Ephesians, he wrote this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And what Paul's saying is like, I, I can't stop praising my God for you and praying for you because of your love, your love for God and for the people. And I pray that you would love more and more. It was their love that made them stand out. It was their love that made them stand up against evil. It was their love that made them stand up for the truth against false teachings. It was their love for Jesus that made them light up. Now, fast forward from the time that Ephesians letter was written, fast forward 30 to 40 years, 
And Jesus now addresses them in this, this next letter, in Revelation chapter 2. And he starts recognizing them. He starts commending them. And he goes on in verse 2. He says this. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. And so Jesus begins by recognizing them. Here's, here, here's a note to take. If you're taking notes in your journal or you're just jotting notes down, write this down. Here's the recognition. The recognition Jesus gives is this. You do good works and you have good doctrine. You do good works and you have good doctrine. It's amazing that after all these years, they're still doing good things. And they're still standing for the truth, shooting down false prophets. He goes on in verse 3 and he says this. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You haven't grown weary in doing so. And so some things never change, right, for the Ephesians. Some things never change. They're still doing good works, and they're still standing for the truth. Some things never change, but other things did. And sadly, the most important thing changed. Because Jesus goes on in verse 4 and he says, But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Their love had grown cold. The most important thing had gone cold. And so here's the rebuke. Here's the rebuke. If you're taking notes, write this down. The rebuke is this. He says, you have lost the love you had at first. Some version says, you have lost your first love. You've lost the love you once had. Now, was it their love for Jesus that went cold or their love for people that went cold? I, I think it's both. Because if you're not fully loving Jesus, then you will fall short in your love for people. And if you aren't fully loving people, then you're not fully, fully loving Jesus. One affects the other. And for the Christian, love is everything. Love is everything. It is the heartbeat of the Christian. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Love is everything when it comes to Christianity. Love is the, the engine that drives our decisions and our actions. Love is the very foundation on which our relationship with Jesus is built. Love is the meat of the Christian faith. Speaking of meat, you know, uh, last week we were craving hamburgers. My family, we were out and we were craving hamburgers. And so we look up Yelp to find uh, the best burger place uh, in that area. And we found this place that seemed to have it all. It, there were so many options to choose from. In fact, I took a picture. Here's a picture of the menu. And there were so many hamburgers to choose from. Right, they had the malt shop burger, which is their original burger. They had the classic cheeseburger. They had the bacon cheeseburger. They had the mushroom and Swiss cheeseburger. They had the blue cheese and bacon burger. 
They had the mild Ortega chili bacon Swiss cheese and guacamole burger. That's a mouthful, literally. They had the bacon cheeseburger with peanut butter. What? Right? Peanut butter. They had the barbecue sauce, bacon, cheddar, cheese, and onion ring burger. That's my jam right there. They had the pastrami cheeseburger. They had the chili cheeseburger. They had the double meat, double cheese, double bacon burger. They even had the lettuce wrapped without the bun burger. There were so many options. It kept going on and on. They had so many options of what kind of burgers you wanted to choose from. But you know what wasn't an option? They never asked, do you want a hamburger patty with that burger? That wasn't an option. Why? Because a burger is not a burger without the burger patty. The patty is what makes it a burger. That's not an option. As Christians, there are so many options today. There are so many kinds of Christians. You, you, you can go to a, a church that's Baptist. You can go to a Presbyterian church. You could go to a Nazarene church or an Alliance church. You could be a conservative Christian or a Calvinistic Christian or a Pentecostal Christian or, or, or a, a, you know, a Reformed Christian. So many kinds of Christians. You could go to a mega church or you could go to a house church. But you know what is not an option? Love. No matter what kind of Christian you are, love is not an option. Love to a Christian is what a burger is to a burger. What a hamburger patty is to a burger, it is embedded in its identity. Without the patty, you're not a burger. Without love, you're not a Christian. Love is everything. And in the book of James... It says that faith without works is dead. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it says works without love is dead. Faith without works is dead. Works without love is dead. And the reality is without love, your works and your faith are in vain. They're both dead. And so we need to be loving at all times. You know, when I first decided that I wanted to become a pastor and I decided I wanted to go to seminary to get my degree, I shared that with my father. Some of you guys have heard this story. And my father, who was a pastor at that time, expressed his disappointment. And he cautioned me, right, because he, he, he felt like the academia of seminary can cause one's heart to grow cold. Right? And he used to say this thing. He used to say, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have if you've got no heat. I mean, you could have all these high degrees. You could have a PhD degree. You could have a master's of divinity degree. You could have a master's of theology degree, a master's of biblical studies degree. But none of that matters if you have no heat, if you have no temperature, if you have no fire for Jesus. And his concern was that I would get so puffed up in the head but grow, grow stone cold in the heart. And so what did I do? I went to seminary. I went because I still wanted to learn, but I went into seminary resolving in my heart that I wasn't going to let that happen to me, 
that I was going to let seminary become a cemetery for my heart and for my love for Jesus. And so one of the memory verses that I had all throughout my seminary years came from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, and some of you guys might know this, but it says, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but have not love, I am nothing. If I have uh, the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, he's saying works without faith or without love is dead. It's nothing. It's in vain. And here in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to the Ephesians and he's saying, I see you. I see your good works. I see your toil. I see your endurance in the truth. But what I'm not seeing is your love. He says, I don't see it anymore. And I wish you would come back to the love you once had, that you would return to your first love. I pray that you would love again. Church, you know my heart. My heart is that as the people of God, our lives would always reflect the word of God and, and that the word of God would always be a reflection of our hearts. But I think I finally found a verse that I pray is never reflected in you, that would never be true of us. And that's in verse 4 where Jesus says, but you have abandoned your first love. You've abandoned the love you had at first. I've been praying along with so many of you during this Pray for 22. And this past week, as we've been focusing on the church and for God's kingdom, one thing that I've been praying for for us is that we would be a people on fire for Jesus, that we would be a people who burn with passionate affection for Jesus, that we wouldn't be Christians who just do good Christian things and check off boxes. Because I realized, man, we could live our whole lives and we could do all the good things Christians should do and all the good things good churches should do. Like you could attend a service or make sure you catch it online and check. And you can make sure that you give your tithes and your offerings every paycheck, check. And you can make sure you show up at least at one time a month that you signed up to serve. And you could sign up to serve, check. And we could check all these boxes. And, and if you do, that's great. I pray you keep checking those boxes and you keep doing what you do, the good things that you do. But I wonder what Jesus would say if he were to write a letter to the church of South Bay Community Church. And if he were to write a letter, would his words say, I see your fire. I see your love. I see your passion for my name. I see your intimacy with me. Or would he say, I see you. I see you, South Bay. I see your works, and I see all the religious things you do week in and week out, and I see the boxes you check. But I don't see your love. And I don't see 
that you are walking closely and intimately with me. Would he say, but I have this against you. You've fallen out of love. Your love has grown cold. The fire is out and your heart no longer beats. What would he say? Some of us know what it's like to be in a human relationship and experience a love growing cold. Some of us know how badly that hurts to not be loved anymore. Some of us have even been tempted to look elsewhere for someone else who will love me like I used to be loved or love me like I long to be loved. And some of us have already began that journey. We've already entered into that journey. How many of us have grown cold in our love for Jesus? How does Jesus respond? How does God respond to a cold heart? And praise God for his mercy. And praise God for his faithfulness, for his long So He's not going anywhere on us. Because even though he gives this rebuke, he doesn't reject. In fact, after the rebuke, he gives a remedy. He gives a remedy. How does he remedy the cold heart? He says this to the Ephesians. In verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And so what if... We, like the Ephesians, have lost the flame and we've fallen out of love with Jesus. Well, understand, Jesus does not reject us, but he gives us this remedy. I'll read it it again, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Circle that word, remember. And then repent. Circle that word, repent. And do the works you did at first. Circle that word, do. So here's a remedy if you're taking notes. The remedy is this, remember, repent, redo. Remember, repent, redo. Jeez, this is, this is Jesus' prescription. This is not me trying to come up with three fancy points, but he says, first of all, remember. Remember from where you have fallen, meaning if, if you were in a place you used to be when you were first in love and you've fallen from that place, what was it like in that place? And so think about that. What was it like when you were most in love with Jesus? What were the circumstances surrounding that? What what was it like when he made known to you his love for you? Were you locked up in chains behind bars and that's where Christ made himself known to you? And I know that's the testimony of some friends that I have. Was it when you were bound in chains, the chains of depression or addiction, and God came and made known to you the hope and the freedom in him? Was it when you hit rock bottom in your social life, in your career, in your marriage, and Jesus appeared and showed you the strength and the resurrection power that he has available? Was it when your life was good, as good as it possibly can be, where you felt like life can't possibly be better, and yet Jesus came into your life and showed you, oh, it gets better than this. Was that when you were most in love with Jesus? Jesus says, first of all, remember. Remember. Because I believe forgetfulness is oftentimes the first symptom of a cold heart. 
And I says, don't forget, remember. I've often taught that we should preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Right? We should, we should keep reminding ourselves of the gospel and the love God has for us. Why? Because the devil deceives daily. And so keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Well, let me add something to that. Here, here's your application. Take this home with you. I, I want you to today write down your testimony. Right? Recall the story that God has written into your life of how he came and saved you. How did he save you? What did he do in your life? And after you write that testimony, go and share that testimony with yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself daily and share your testimony to yourself. And remind yourself, not, that, not just that God so loved the world, but, but this is how God loved me. And this is what he did in my life. And this is what I did when I responded to his love in my life. Remember, remember how Jesus has saved you because of his love for you. And then after you remember, Jesus says, then repent and redo. Repent and redo. In this passage, in the original language, the word for repent is the Greek word metanoeo. And meta means to change, noeo means your mind change your mind. And so the idea is if you're moving in a direction away from a love you once experienced to metanoel, to repent, is to change your mind, to change direction and say, you know what? I don't think this is a good direction. I'm, I'm changing. I'm going backward. I'm going back to where I once was. My, my wife and I, Monica, we've been doing a marriage study. Now is our second time around and we're doing it with our life group and it's called Re-Engage. And one of the things I love about this study is one of the major themes is to pursue oneness in your marriage, to pursue oneness. And that's the idea that uh, marriage isn't successful just because two people haven't divorced yet. And, And a marriage isn't successful just because two people live under the same house, cohabitants. That's not necessarily a marriage that glorifies and honors God. A marriage that honors God is when two pursue oneness. Because when God brought these two people together, he brought two to become one. And so to to pursue oneness means that I'm not going to move in a direction away from my spouse. And to pursue oneness is not I'm just going to stand still apart from my spouse. But it means I'm going to change my mind and decide I'm going to move toward the heart of my spouse. I'm going to pursue my spouse in love. That's a decision we make when you're in love. And so when it comes to our love with Christ, repenting is when we recognize, man, I'm living a life and I'm moving in a direction away from the love I once shared with Jesus and I'm realizing this is in a good direction. I'm going to change my mind. And once again, I'm going to pursue a love for Jesus, one that I once shared and experienced with him. So repent. And when you do, then redo what you once did when you were most in love with him. Remember, repent, and then redo. 
there was a couple in our church and they had shared with me that they were having difficulty in their marriage and I had a chance to sit and talk with them and, and pray with them. And then a few weeks went by and I checked in with the husband. I said, hey, how are you guys doing? And he, he actually responded to me. He said, we're doing good. We're about to uh, go on a date. He says, we haven't been on a date without the kids in more than three years. I said, praise God, that's awesome. I'm so stoked. I said, go on that date, take her out, treat her well, and then do it again. Keep on taking her out on dates. And then after that first date, I texted him. I said, hey, so how did it go? What, what did you guys do? And he replies back to me. He says, it, it was good. He's like, we went driving around Palos Verdes. I was like, bro. That's all you got? Like no fancy dinner, no getting dressed up, no romantic movie, no beautiful walks, watching the sunset on the beach. That's all you got? You drove around PV? Why, why did you drive her around Palos Verdes? And I love his answer back to me. He, he responded back. He texted me. He said, we used to do it all the time when we were dating. We would just talk, drink coffee, and dream about our life together. And every time we did it, it never got old for us. So we went just to go back to the time we loved and enjoyed dreaming about our lives together. I love that. I love that because they were remembering what it was like when they first fell in love. And when things started to grow apart, they were returning back and redoing the things they once did so that they could fall in love again. And Jesus, to the church in Ephesus, he, he's telling them, remember what it was like when you loved at first, when that fire burned passionately with it, when your love lit up the, the town of Ephesus. Remember that, then return and redo the things you did at first. Go back. So what was that like for you? What was it like for you when you were most in love with Jesus? I started remembering what it was like for me, and I remember the days when I was most on fire for God, and I could tell you in a heartbeat, I wouldn't hesitate. I know exactly when it was, and it wasn't when I first accepted Christ, to be honest, and it wasn't when I got baptized, but for me personally, it was after I graduated college. It was 2003. It was January, because that year, I, I resolved that I was going to read the entire Bible in that year. I had never done it before. My whole life, I had never done it before, up to that point. So I'm going to read the entire Bible, three to four chapters a day. And on top of that, I said, I'm going to memorize 300 verses. It's almost a verse a day. And so I started doing it. And as I started doing it, I had no idea what that was going to do to my heart and what that was going to do to my life. That year, I'm telling you sincerely, I fell madly in love with Jesus. Why? Well, I think because it felt like as I went through that year, it felt like God was constantly whispering to me. Like he was constantly talking to me. Because if I wasn't reading his words, it was fresh on my heart and on my mind. I would go through life and it was like he was constantly whispering to me how much he loved me. He was whispering, whispering to me guidance for situations I found myself in. I remember I would be sitting there listening to, listening to the pastor preach on a Sunday morning. 
And as he's preaching the word of God, all these other verses that I had been taking in would come to mind, cross-references backing up the word of God being preached. And I loved it. It was like God was always sitting with me constantly in my presence. I had Bible verses on my computer screen, on my keyboard, on my desk, on my turtle tank, on my bathroom mirror, in my car. I had index cards that every time I was at a red light, I would start going over the verses I had memorized. And it was like God's presence never left me. And I had no idea how much that year would change the trajectory of my life. Is that year I decided, man, I want to serve God with my whole life. I want to go to seminary and maybe one day become a pastor. I was so on fire for Jesus. But as the years went on, I found myself getting busy. I got busy doing good things, good church things. I started getting more involved in ministry, doing more church work. I eventually became a pastor. Start spending a lot more time preparing messages and Bible studies. Spent more time counseling and caring for people. Spent more time in meetings, planning out ministries. I got busy doing good things. And I became very aware of how a heart could subtly grow cold if we're not careful. If I, if I stop soaking in the scriptures... If I stop sitting in God's presence, if I stop reading and meditating on his precious words, his love letters to me, if I was too much Martha and not enough Mary, I could see how a heart could grow cold. And so as I'm studying this passage for this message, I'm remembering the days when I was most madly in love with Jesus. And I'm challenged by this love, 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 love letter from Jesus here at the beginning of 2022 to return and go back to the good old days. And I'm not talking about 2019 before 2020 hit. I'm talking about 2003 where it all began for me, where I began taking in God's word every single day. And this year for me personally, I'm doing it again. I'm doing the one-year Bible reading plan. I'm starting to memorize again. I downloaded the Bible Memory app. Check that out on your, at your app store, the Bible Memory app. It's been so helpful and awesome. Do it. But I want to ask you, what do you need to go back to? What was it like for you when you were most in love with Jesus? What kind of things did you do out of your love for him? Was it that, that spot on the beach where you would go to read? Was it that routine of jogging where you would go and talk with Jesus? Was it that journal that you would write and process all the thoughts and all the things you're going through and talk to God? Was it because you were involved in leading Bible studies, serving in a homeless ministry, reaching out to the lost, what was it like when you were most in love? Remember what the Lord has done for you. And remember what you did in response to his love for you. Causing you to love him back. And if you have fallen from that place you once were, if you've fallen, and I'm not assuming you have, but if you have, then repent. 
and change your mind and then redo the things you once did when you were most in love. I'm reminded of a good friend of mine who shares with me that the time he was most on fire for God was when he was in prison. Because it, it was there, he had so much time, and all he did was he would just read and soak up God's word, and that caused him to just want to minister to his fellow prisoners. He says, that's when I was most on fire for God. I'm reminded of the group of Korean missionaries in 2007 who were held captive, hostage by the Taliban, a terrorist group in Afghanistan, because they were preaching the gospel. Two of those missionaries were killed, executed. One was a pastor, just about my age. And the rest of the team, when they were finally set free and, and got to go back to Korea, I remember Francis Chan talking about how he got to meet some of these Koreans. And, and he, he would hear them talk about how sometimes they still wish they were back in captivity. How they wish they were hostages again. Why? They would say to the pastor of that missionary team, they would say, Pastor, don't you wish we were still imprisoned by the Taliban? And one said, because when I was surrounded by these soldiers and my life was threatened, that's when I was most desperate for Jesus and I most felt his presence around me. And I cherished that intimacy we had when we were there in Afghanistan. But now that we're comfortable back here in Seoul, Korea, Sometimes I long to be back in that place where I was most intimate with Jesus. How willing are you? How willing are you to stay in love with Jesus? How far would you go? How much would you sacrifice to be madly in love with him again? I'm not sure it'd be wise for my friend to throw himself back into prison. I wouldn't advise that. I'm not sure it'd be wise for these missionaries to go back and to throw themselves back into a hostage situation. But that desire is what I'm talking about. That desire that I'll do whatever it takes to go back and to be intimate with my Jesus. And I praise God that Jesus, for most of us, he's not calling us to risk our lives He's not calling us to be thrown into prison. For most of us, he's not calling us to be hostages. He's just calling us to simply come back. To come, remember what it was like when you were first and most in love. And he's calling us simply to repent, change your mind, and return to me. Redo, once again, the things we once used to do together with all the uncertainties in this world and in the times that we're living in, here's one thing for certain. Here's one thing for certain. The time is now to stay in love with Jesus, to be in love with Christ our Savior. Amen? Would you join me in a word of prayer? I would love to just pray for you and pray for me as well. And Father God, we ask that at such a time as this, God, that you would light the fire again, that you would set our hearts aflame, that as we go throughout this year, God, we would be a, a church that burns bright 
a city that sits on a hill where people look at us and can't help but to see this insatiable desire for Jesus. These people who are just crazy about you, who would even do crazy things because of their love for you. I pray that they would see our good works. I pray that they would see that we do good things. But I pray that they would see where all that's coming from. It's coming out of this deep, intense love for our Savior. And because we love you, we can't help but to love people in response to our love for you. God, bring us back. You're our first, you're our greatest, you're our most important love. God, help us never to abandon that. God, we just want passion for you. So help us to stand. Help us to stand out. Help us to stand up against evil. Help us to stand up for your truth. Help us to stand in awe and in love with Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.